What's going on, everybody? This is James Grandmaster Facts Voice, and you're here for another episode of the Facts Project. Today, very special guest, Jerry Chatelain from E4 Comics, basically the creator of the elements. Thank you for being here, brother. Uh, thank you for having me, James. You have no idea how important this meeting between me and you is to me because when I first started out in the indie comics, you're one of the first people I followed. And I've been following you ever since, and it's been an inspiration. And I can't explain to you how much we appreciate what you do in support of the indie creators out there. Amen. Thank you. I'm honored to be on the show. I totally appreciate that, man. So, you know, I, I, I feel as though I do my due diligence by highlighting and, of course, creating some type of transparency amongst the indie comic community especially a lot of our brothers out there that are basically putting their projects out for the first time and seeing their creations live and putting them in people's hands. I just so happen to have two of these books here myself. So I thank you brother for being here. Uh, so let's get into this. Um, so when, when we're talking about this, now you created the elements. Um, I remember when it surfaced in 2016, if you could talk about basically where the ideas came from and when did you finally say, okay, we're doing this. We're going to put it, um, put basically pen to pad, write the story down the st or the story had was already written maybe five years prior. And you basically mm -hmm. got the elements on his feet. So we're going back to, I'm 37 years old right now. And we're talking about when I was around 14, 15 years old. Um, me and my three closest friends, adopted brother, cousin, my best friend, we grew up together. We always had each other's backs. We're, we're all brothers at the end of the day. That's exactly how we look at each other. Um, I've always been a writer. You know, I've entered write short story writing competitions since I was in junior high school. And it's something that I've always enjoyed doing. So one gr great crazy morning, I get introduced to anime. Okay. So it doesn't mean that it's the best anime, but it is my goat because it introduced me into anime. The very first anime I watched was Dragon Ball Z. And we're talking about 5.30 in the morning. Mm. You had to wake up and turn the TV on to see it. I think it was like on channel 11 or 5 or something like that. Uh huh. See it on regular TV. You were in the New York area. If you're talking about Channel Eleven, yes. Five. Okay. Yes. Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn, Brooklyn okay. New York. <laughs> so, and I just remember being blown away by what I was watching. You know, we grew up watching all the regular, you know, cartoons, Thundercats, Ninja Turtles, you know, yeah. etc. But this was just different, you know. And I remember calling my boys, like, "Yo, y'all need to start waking up five thirty in the morning." Y'all need to check this new show out. Remind me, I didn't know it was called an anime back then. Right, I was right, like, y'all right. need to check this show out. Yeah. It was Japanimation. It was Japanimation for us. Like older. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> As I got older, I started learning these terms and I'm like, oh, so this is not American? That makes a lot of sense. Like, <laughs> it's so different. <laughs> so, you know? So, since then, that's when we kind of like got together and I was like, yo, being so inspired by anime and started getting into other anime, I was like, yo, we should create our own story, you know, that has like an animation feel to it. And that's when we started throwing things out there. You know, we were very into the elements growing up. You know, we enjoyed the elements. So it was like, how about we pick an element? And each person chose an element kind of like that 
fit their characteristics. So my character, Pyros, based off of my personality. Then you got Hydro, who's based out of my boy, Hassan. Uh, Shock, who's based from my cousin, Corey. And then Sky, who's based from my um, adopted brother, Matthew. You know, and once you started putting the characters together, we started writing a story plot about what we wanted to see, you know, what we were expecting, where the story should go. What do we want to see in the story? So, you know, everything, every time you watch a show, especially when you're a creator or a writer, you can't help but say to yourself, I would do this different. You know, I wouldn't have gone down this route. I would have made this. I would have chose this route. I would have went, you know, different. So though Dragon Ball Z is one of my, you know, favorite animes of all time, there is a lot of things about it that I would love to change that upsets me greatly, <laughs> you know, and that's one of the, like, you know, ideas. I don't like this in this story. So we're going to move away from that. And I'm going to fix this problem that I didn't like with that story. And then, you know, continue pushing forward and creating, you know, the elements. So, so, so basically, that was like the beginning. Nice. Yo, so now the beginning of E4 revolves around you and your, your adopted brother and your your two your yep. two good friends. So so in starting that, you you always knew that basically the company was going to be E4. Yeah, because we chose like E4 because it's always like whenever you're starting something, you know, company or you want to accomplish anything, it's kind of like once you find out like the four key components into creating or starting something, once you follow those four key components, you're you know, like you're on your way for success. So we always saw that the number four plus there were four of us just sounded great. You know, it's like, so that's pretty much what before comics represent. Whatever it is you want to start, whatever it is you want to do, you find the four key components into accomplishing that goal. You stick to that goal and you will be successful. Mm. Good to hear, brother. So as far as the creation of the elements, you always knew in creating the comic book, the actual physical comic book that it was going to be read in, that it was going to have this type of feel into it. You've already been fans of anime for so long. So now you. So here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing about oh, that. Right? Yeah. It did not start off as a comic book at all. Like when we wrote this, this, we wrote it in a way that it was going to be an anime from the get go. Mm. Okay. That's exactly how we envisioned the elements as an anime but we're 15 16 years old when we first started writing this there's no way we were going to get into animation so as the years went down and we saw how expensive animation can be it was we had to yeah exactly like we had to find another route to go to try and get the story out there so then we came up with the idea for creating a comic but then that started a whole new level of issues because now we needed to find an artist and we need to find an artist that you know to our liking and in our budget you know so that's what took so long for the elements to even get off the ground and then we found out that one of our friends outside friends Dennis he had the art ability mm. so he was the first person to draw one of our characters and bring him to life. And you'll see him in every Kickstarter as the concept artist. So once he drew that first character, that was the spark. That was like, holy shit, 
this is going to happen. Like this, this is on its way from happening. And then from there, I joined a bunch of Facebook groups of artists and writers. And I was looking for an artist that can turn Dennis art into an anime style art. And then once that happened, that's when we eventually came out with issue zero of the elements. Well, it's funny because you guys, you're talking about this idea came to mind when you guys were 15 and 16. You're 37 now. You've been holding on to this idea. Like, this was going to get made. Regardless yeah. of how old you guys got or, or however long time it was going to get basically, like, put into. And the thing is, it's even evolved. It was going to start off as an anime or better yet, like a cartoon. And then it evolved into this comic book. So regardless, mm -hmm. you guys persevered through all these hurdles in order to just physically get this book in people's houses. Yeah, definitely. Like it was just a, the transition alone was crazy because when you're writing a story for an anime, like you, you, you're able to include all the little bit of details that you love watching in anime and you like to watch that evolve. It's very difficult when you write an anime style um, story and have to convert it into a comic book with still pictures because mm -hmm. now it just feels like am I conveying what I'm trying to get across enough with these images which is why if you notice my books are always 34 pages which is normally more pages than a regular comic for sure because it's usually like 22 to 26 yeah exactly I always feel like I'm not telling enough story or maybe I'm not giving enough of action because I was never really used to creating a comic book so I had to adapt the anime story into a comic book style and that was one of the most difficult things for me to have to do well one of the things aesthetically just if you if you read any of your books and yes they are just like you said they're longer than a traditional comic book they read like a manga which are basically an anime style so the aesthetics of the book when you're seeing it firsthand from like how how you basically like putting it about there is a lot of detail to it because mangas read like the animes animes of course if you watch a dragon ball z episode you know shit you well, you you got to the fight if you started if you knew they were going to fight in episode one you ain't get to the fight <laughs> till episode 17 exactly <laughs> you know what i'm saying <laughs> so so it, 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 it's, exactly. it's comforting like when you're reading these books and everything like that you're like okay you know what I'm saying? You're you're getting to know the characters. Cool. Personalities. Cool. You know about their upbringings. Cool. Something basically as far as a, a conflict that is going to uh, connect all four for the uh, all four of the boys and basically bring them together as the elements that happens. Then the training sequences happen. They start to discover their powers, the curiosity about what's happening with each each and every one of them. There might be a turmoil in the middle of that. All this is now dragging onto the story. And then there's like this huge plot point. We haven't even got into the signature conflict yet. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I get where you're coming from. Absolutely. But did you all like when you look at this, when you're looking at the art style, like the art style, I could tell you selected it. You didn't want anything to be beat out of the bush because you wanted this to look like an anime as well. Mm hmm. Now, now, so, well, your concept artist and your artist for the books, how did you describe this to him or how you how you wanted it? I mean, so with my concept artist, it pretty much came down to like each 
of us had an intel of how we wanted the specific character to look, you know. So it came like when it came to power, I was like, yeah, you know, I want him a bit dark skin. I want him to have hair that kind of represents fire. So like something pointing upwards, you know. Um, he's going to be more of like the powerhouse, the physical person of the group, you know, and then it went vice versa. We kind of like all agreed that we wanted the four brothers to be, um, I guess you could say, range from all colors, from mm -hmm. pretty much black all the way to kind of white, even though, yes, all of us are like black and Hispanics and mm -hmm. mixed and everything, but we wanted to like be able to reach out to everybody, have a bit of, you know, everybody in this book, you know, and everything. So they put in their input on how they wanted their characters to look and everything. And once we told Dennis, he pretty much created it to the best of his ability. So it's a lot easier when Dennis draws the art, the original art, and then you hand it to that new artist and he just recreates it into an anime form. He just basically goes about what Dennis drew before. So that transition was better. It was just now about finding the artwork that we wanted for the book. You know, and within the issues that we have, I've already been through three artists. Wow. And yeah, and I'm happy to, with the one that I have now. She's been a blessing. She's the artist for Bird and the Truth issue two, and she's going to be the artist for Dyson Saga part one, two, and three. Wow. So I'm very happy with that. Great. Now, most people, when they're basically starting out their indie comics for the first time, they usually started out with a solo character. You starting this out with a team right off the jump. How do you find the time in your writing? Because you said you've always been a writer. Every single character, had all these characters have to have these, you know, singular personalities. Yeah. So, like, how do, yeah. how are you able to separate everybody's, like, personality in order to make a continuous story? So, all four of us are different people. And we decided that we wanted the characters to portray our personality. And what makes that unique is obviously, for example, Pyro. Pyro's, everyone's going to look at Pyro and be like, Pyro's the hothead. Pyro's the Raphael of the group. He's going to be like the, the hard person to deal with. Honestly, I'm not like that in real life. Mm -hmm. So that's not how Pyro really is. I'm actually more of the reserved kind of person and stay back because I know once my fuse does burn out, that is insane. Okay. Like it's very hard to bring me back. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of character I wanted to portray for Pyro. Then you have Hydro, which is my best friend, Hassan. He's always been the wisdom of the group. We always needed advice. We went to him. I didn't want him to come out as like the Donatello creating gadgets. Not he's not that type of intelligence. Mm -hmm. He's just more of the wisdom. Like he analyzes situations. Be like, yo, I don't think it's a good idea to do this, or you know, this person fights this certain way. I think if we could tweak our combat, you know, this way, we might have a better chance of defeating him. You know, that kind of wisdom. You know, then you have shock. Very easy. Is Corey cocky dude? He's very yeah yeah. He's that dude conceited. If we get into some shit, it's Corey did it. Like he's <laughs> just <laughs> like that, you know. <laughs> and then you have Sky, my brother, who basically is like he's the funny guy of the group. But even though being the funny guy of the group, he's pretty tactical. 
when it comes down to the nitty and gritty. He can really think tactical, and that's because he has military background and, you know, things like that. So we wanted to try and have that within the, the story as well. Okay, okay. Now, basically, uh, when, the, when the boys are pretty much uh, discovering their powers and they, that curiosity that I talked about earlier starts to build up, they are introduced to this unknown figure, and this unknown figure is Kleneth, which basically... Mm-hmm is more of a protector in the beginning, but then he offers tutelage to him, and he's now is the perfect fit as to being their teacher and showing them basically how the stones and the power sets work for each and every one of them. Could you describe Kleneth, like, basically who he's based off of? Because I've, I've seen characters like him before, but mm-hmm. who, who do you see him as to the elementals? So I want to say he's kind of like the master splinter mm. of the elements. So within this Kickstarter that we're coming out with October 7th, we're dropping two books. It's the third issue of the elements, the Dice of Saga part one, and it's going to be the first issue of Clenneth, ah. the Clenneth story. Got you. Okay, so it's going to be about Clenneth, if anybody can see it, all right? It's going to be before he looks like this. So he is going to have a human-like body, even though he is from another planet. And it's going to get into more detail of his story before he became this character that we know and met up and meeting with the brothers. You know, so when you read the Clenna story, it's going to be pretty different. It's going to be more militant, mm. you know, like spatial militant, like military, because he was part of what we call the Rosh Rashir. Mm-hmm. Empire, and he was a soldier in the Russia Empire, and one of his duties was to train elementals in how to use their abilities. So, you know, the elements. His story, the kind of book, is going to open up a lot of um, answers for questions that people wondered about him and where he came from, or why he's doing what he's doing with the boys. Got you. So now um, with with Kleneth, with that basically now there being somewhat of an origin story towards his background, does that put into perspective now from basically from the other books? Does it because the 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 Kronos and the Rashir, of course, have been in sort of like a civil war uh, for mm-hmm. ages. Is that going to touch on that, like their conflict and exactly where that started from, which pretty much brought the the stones to earth and pretty much started the journey where Plenith now is introduced to the boys for the first time. Yes, yeah, so you're gonna get into we're gonna get into all the details about that and about pretty much like the Kronos growing without the Rashir realizing how powerful they were getting. Mm. You know, and part of the things so something special that you're going to be introduced to in the planet story is um so what the Rashir does, they go from planet to planet, um, basically taking people from that planet that can use something called Plenergy. So Plenergy is an energy source that each planet gives its inhabitants on that planet. Right. Some people on each planet have the ability to really utilize that energy 
and creating a special ability, whether it may be mind reading or, for example, Earth, which is a secret that I'm giving you now. Earth's planet G is cheap energy. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so before they destroy a planet, they find those people that have the ability to use that planet G to their favor, force them onto the Kronos Empire, steal the energy from the planet, which obviously causes the planet to get destroyed. Mm -hmm. And that's how they've been building their army, you know, in the, in the backseat. So in the Clannister store, you're going to start seeing a lot of that come into light while being introduced to brand new characters that will eventually make their way into the element story. Dope, 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 dope work. Now, as far as like um the, the three books that you put out so far, uh, of course, now, being fully indebted, um, indebted into the indie comic book community, you've now have had the opportunity to take on a lot of collaborations, introduce yourself to other companies that are pretty much out there. You've even had opportunities where, uh, of course, you've had uh, Chris Michael from Crit basically jumping on as the letterer for um, the bur uh, burden of truth. How has since you've entered in 2016, how has the indie comic community received you in the books that you put out so far? Um, so I've been blessed, honestly, from when I first started in the indie community because I had a chance to meet great people like Concrete, Lonzo, you know, uh, Sovereign Comics, you know, and, you know, a whole bunch of great creators that had no issue in sharing knowledge with me. You know, and it's through Lonzo that I met Chris and Jason because mm. they were friends. And eventually, Jason, Chris, and another member, Jesse, created a group called the SSB. Because if we wanted to get into distribution, it's very hard to do that with one book, two book, three books. But now if you come together as one, you have a plethora of books, you look better to present, oh, yeah. you know, to a distribution. So they created a group called the Savage Sandbox, the SSB. So it involves Jason from The Convictor, Chris from Crit, me from E4 Comics, um, Jerry Cooley from Cooley Studios. Um, we have Drew from Caspian uh, from Snowy Works. And, you know, and we also have Dennis from Slate Comics. We have the Slate Boys from Australia, wow. you know, that have the book Omen and Cult and now Celestial Night. So we all came together to create this book, to, you know, create this group to help distribute our creations a lot better when it comes to distribution companies like Diamond, you know, et cetera. So that's pretty much how I met Chris and find out Chris does the lettering because my artist... She's from the Philippines. Okay. So her English or anything like that, you know, that's obviously not the best. So since Chris already does lettering, I figured I'd have her focus on the artwork so I can just send it to Chris and he can just fill in the lettering. That way he can even double check any misspellings that I might have done, you know, during the, the writing or anything like that. So that's pretty much how he became. He's honestly the letterer of most of our books in the SSB, wow. to be honest. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, because he does such a great job with it. You know, we kind of just been like, all right, Chris, how about you handle it? We pay you, you handle it, you know, <laughs> keep it within the group. 
Yo, so, I, 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 I constantly get amazed by how basically pretty much how the indie comic community comes together. And in that type of story where you, you know, I, who knows, it might have started from a group chat. It might have started from just like the linking in on social media or anything like that. But the, the to basically have five companies, five, six companies that are now in collaboration. You probably are all over different parts of the United States and Australia to where mm -hmm. to where you're you know you have the ability to market and promote your books to one another and distribute in a certain way that not a lot of people are thinking about dude like it's crazy to even think about it because we all met on instagram and because of covid like oh y'all so, yes covid was obviously yeah like so you know covid was devastating for a lot of people but believe it or not i think covid was actually uh, a plus for indie creators because a lot of people had ideas and COVID since you couldn't go out forced you to sit down, buckle down and really go into your project. Mm. So we've been doing that and we've all gotten close on Instagram until one, you know, finally when things started to open up, we finally met each other for the first time in South Carolina doing ConjureCon, ConjureGateCon mm. you know, and you know, an experience like that is kind of scary because it's like, I met these people on the internet. <laughs> you know what they said about these people on the internet? Like, <laughs> you know, you shouldn't do it. So it's kind of like, I'm meeting these people in person for the first time. How is this going to happen? Right. Like, how is it going to work? You know, and I'm happy to say that it was one of the greatest experiences ever. You know, we all clicked automatically. We got along very well and one of the funniest things about meeting someone in person is you never know what you're going to see. So I could be looking at you, James, and I'd be like, yo, James is about like 5'5", five, five, you know, mm -hmm. 150 pounds. And then I meet you in person, you're 6'3". I'm like, what the <laughs> hell? Like, so you don't know what you're seeing. So that was one of the funniest things because when I met, the first person I met was Chris's wife. Mm -hmm. And she's also a small, petite woman. So literally, I came, you know, and I just bear hugged her. So she uh -huh. just turns around to this big chest, like, what the hell's happening right now? And then she looks, she's like, oh, my God, it's Jerry. And then everyone's looking at me. And everyone's like, whoa, you're a lot bigger than we thought. Like, you're massive. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, <laughs> and then I'm looking at Chris, and I was like, yeah, you're massive, but you're short. Like, <laughs> like you're a lot shorter than I expected you to be, so. It was a great experience and everything. And, you know, since we've been doing that, we've all had a, they've been helping me out with the comic. We help each other out wherever it is that we can, you know, um, from writing the comics and everything, introducing issue zero to now issue three. Yeah. You know, it's all been great. And adding pe more people to the team, because now I have a new member of the team. She's an editor mm -hmm. and her name is Farrell, and she has been an amazing asset to the team. Like, I thought my writing was good before. My my writing is going to be much better with her on the team because we all deal with our own personal lives, and sometimes you know yeah. our projects tend to fall to the wayside. She makes sure it stays on point, and she yeah, she's brutal, and I love it. Like, <laughs> you know, that's exactly what we need. One of the one of the hardest rules in comics is that you always need an editor, man. 
Sometimes yeah, you, your own ideas can get in the way. You need that editor to just chop you back a little bit. It, it, it doesn't matter that they're brutal, man. It's 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 a good it's a good thing. Yep, you don't realize how much you need it until you get it. And it's like I'm very happy that I was able to find her, you know, because now I don't have to really worry about my work suffering because of like my own personal life. Now it helps me balance both things and now I can continue improving for all the fans giving people more and better stories to read so definitely one of the greatest moves that i've done definitely shout out to her what's her name again uh farrell farrell shout out to farrell yep. definitely <laughs> let, let, let's get into the juice of this thing so you are in the uh the pre-launch of the dice saga now we've been introduced to of course the um the the twin titans and Basically, the Kronos just sending down multiple villains uh, to to battle the elementals on their home turf and they keep getting washed. So Dysus is now like, you know what? He doesn't he did his Thanos moment. He was like, I'm going to do this shit myself. What makes Dysus a formidable foe as opposed to the Twin Titans and the other members that Kronos has pretty, pretty much brought down? All right. So the crazy thing about that is the timeline. Mm. of issue zero and the dice saga so issue zero is the first book we came out with issue zero is not the first issue okay it's not the first story so when we came out with issue zero we wanted to present it with a lot of action excitement to get people like really into it and to wonder wait how do we get here what's happening here mm. and then from issue zero we come out with issue one to where the boys are basically in the orphan. It's kind of like one of those Naruto fillers situations, right. you know, like now we're back in the orphanage and they're young. And it's like, wait, what's happening right now? So now what we plan on doing is from issue one, we're going to build back to issue zero mm. to the twin Titans. So it's not that Dices is stronger or better than the twin Titans. Cause if you want to put it in a timeline, you know, compare it to something, he's the Raditz of the group. Okay. And then the Twin Titans are, are the Frieza of the story. Mm. So that's that's the difference between that. It's not that he's stronger than them. It's just that this is the first powerful foe that the boys are going to have to face. So issue two, the burden of truth, went into details about, you know, where Clinic is from. He teaches the boys about the stones, you know, what the stones are about and, you know, how to use them. So he's basically, issue two is about him training the boys and how to use their abilities. He takes the boys away from the orphanage and he's like, you guys need to make a decision. You guys are either going to become the elemental warriors that of old that we need to protect the galaxy or you guys can walk away from this. So mm. the boys had to make an important decision in the burden of truth, and they chose, you know what? We were going to leave the orphanage anyway. I, you know, this is like a calling. Let's, let, I'd rather do this than, you know, and protect the people that we love. So they take Kenneth on his offer, and they start to train with him. But now the twist that you get in burden of truth, for those that didn't read it, is Kenneth becomes mind-boggled with the boys because from 
what he remembers of their older elemental, they had to wear the stones, whether it was a chain, a bracelet, whatever. Mm-hmm. Once he was training the boys, he was like trying to teach them how to tap into their powers and they were having an issue with it. And he's like, wait a minute, where are the stones? And the boys are like, what stones? And then, you know, Hydra's like, wait, are you talking about the stones that we had in our hallucination that you saw in issue one? Yeah. Where they get like over Hydra absorbed in the tsunami, shock gets them executed, Pyro falls into like a pit of lava, mm-hmm. and Sky gets caught in the tornado. And they reached out for these stones, and then that illusion disappeared. Right. So, um, they were like, yeah, we've encountered them during our hallucination, but then when we got out of the hallucination, the stones weren't there. We don't know what happened to them. Right. Clarence ends up finding out that the boys' bodies absorbed the stones. Mm-hmm. So the stones are in them. So now, even he's left speeches like, this has never happened before. Mm-hmm. So I'll be honest with you, I don't know what you guys are capable of anymore because this is a whole different concept. This has never been done. Right. So what you guys might be capable of doing, I don't know. So if you have the secret issue zero, which is no longer in print, that's why it ends the way that it ends. Mm. You know, with them, you know, in their new forms, because that's what it leads to. So that's the whole concept of issue zero and where it falls from Dices and the Twin Titans. So we will be getting back to the Twin Titans. It will look obviously a lot different because we have a lot more details now that we're willing to throw into it and changes. So it's going to be much better once we get up to that point. Mm. So now we're looking at Dice's Saga Part 1. How deep is this This now being almost like a new phase into the story? And I know it goes back, but how 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 many parts or issues does this go into the story? Three issues. Dice's Saga is going to be Dice's Part 1, 2, and 3. That is going to be the end of that. And then it's going, the story will obviously continue further after that. So so if I wanted to look at it as the reader, just in like reading order, would I would I have to do the Dice of Saga 1, 2, and 3 and then jump into 0, 1, 2 with basically like Burden of Truth, um, The Awakening, and Issue 0 all in one pack? So it's kind of like one volume and then you have this volume too? Yeah, you can start off, if you start off from The Awakening Issue 1, then to Burden of Truth, then to Dices 1, 2, and 3, I think the story would make a lot more sense, mm. you know, because Issue 0 is just kind of the oddball out there, because it's where the story's supposed to go all the way around and come back to. So you're going to read Issue 0 and be like, okay, I read Issue 0, but then we're back to this. What just What did I miss? You know, so... If you wanted to, you could definitely be like, you know, issue one, Awakening, Burden of Truth, then the Dice of Sagas, and then so on and so forth. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about what I would end up doing is when we do make that full circle is to probably re-releasing issue zero. I would think so. With the new Twin Titan thing. Yeah. You know, with the new version of the Twin Titan that we're going to create when we get to that point. So at the end oh. of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, does this like fit in the one continuous volume? Dice of Saga? Um, zero and one and two? 
Yeah. Pretty much it, it all kind of falls into that. Dice Saga, I guess, is going to be the end of that volume. And then we're going to continue further on. So that's why we're starting with the Clannish Saga, because with the new characters we plan on introducing, it's good to see them in a natural habitat in the club story. So when they do show in the elements, you'll be like, yo, that's the dude or that's the chick from the clan story. Yeah, I remember, yo, she's badass, you know, things like that. So right, right, right. that's what we're trying to have. So. Dope, <laughs> dope, dope, dope. Well, hey, if you could, let us know when Dice Saga drops. And if anybody wanted to basically get in, get into the elements for the very first time, how could they get their hands on these books? Um, we are dropping our third Kickstarter, October 7th, which will have everything. It's going to have issue one, two, three, plus the first issue of the Clement story. We're going to have, you know, cool new, um, you know, uh, tiers. We're going to have two new... Um, rewards like we're gonna have the chibi shirts because these was a big hit with our last kickstarter we have chibi shirts of pyro hydra sky and shock and clinic we're going to create two more of one with dices one with the new version of clinic um we also created challenge coins mm. which is something that people really into of each character so we're going to be introducing two new challenge coins for dices and the new clinic on top of that we're going to have, so each issue is going to have three separate covers. You know, so the Dice Saga Part 1 is going to have three covers. The Clement Story is going to have three covers. And we're going to be giving away, like, these special posters mm. that kind of come with all three designs of the covers as well. So, so yeah, we're, we're looking to really expand and create things, you know, especially now. So the 27th, 28th, and 29th of October... I will be at Baltimore Comic Con. Yes, sir. So this will be the biggest con that I've been to so far since I started this. So I'm nervous. I'm excited. You know, <laughs> so I'm going through all the emotions. Yeah. So I can't wait. Kickstarter will be running along the time that I'm in, you know, at Baltimore Comic Con. So I'm hoping to be able to capitalize on that as well. So. You know, anybody backs the Kickstarters, they can get all the issues from the Kickstarter. Perfect. Now, if they wanted to get any of the uh, the past issues, uh, do they go straight to the website? They can go to the website at www.e4comics.com. You also have the shirts and everything available at, on there as well. The only thing that's not there is issue zero, like I said. Which I have. Out. Yes, you have, which is off print. So, heard up. up. So, Jerry, man, look, man, it's been wonderful talking to you, and I, I appreciate you doing this with me. And I totally can't wait to see what you got going on in the future, man. Especially with this coming out. I, would you say October sixth, seventh, seventh, October seventh, October uh, October seventh? Kickstarter arrives for Dice of Saga Part One. Jerry Chatelaine, appreciate you bring, being here. This has been off the chain. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to doing this for a while, man. So <laughs> once again, I'm honored to be on your show. I'm hoping to be able to do this again. Absolutely, man. So from James Grandmaster Facts Boyce, Jerry Chatelaine from E4 Comics, and we are out. Hey.